Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to the LA Football Podcast. Hey, what's going on, Los Angeles? Final segment here on LAFB Live Monday night. This is your UCLA Bruins talk on a Monday. Excited to get into it. We saw a lot of our beloved Bruins drafted over the weekend. We have some exciting, breaking transfer portal news. Plus, our guy Jamal Madney was at the final spring practice on Saturday, the final weekend spring practice on Saturday, so we can touch on what went down there. But final 30 minutes, Jamal, we've made an hour and a half. It's been a blast talking Rams, then Chargers, then Trojans, now Bruins. How are we feeling? How are we doing? Feeling great, Rye. Uh, excited to be on on the final of the four episodes and, and talking my beloved Bruins. Look, I could I could talk Bruins, as I as I told my dentist many times, you know, if you put on ESPN or you put on anything Bruins related, I could get a root canal with my body on fire. So excited to get into it. You know, this is uh, this is what it's all about. That's that's saying something. So <laughs> saying something. Um, but yes, show is always brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Head to Bet Online today. Use our promo code Believe. That's B L E A V. Gets you a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Tell them. The fellas at the LA Football Network sent you. So, Jamal, let's just jump into it. These 30 minutes always go by quick. So, starting with the draft, a lot of these great Bruins have been working their butts off for this moment. We saw a lot of their names get called on draft night, which was awesome, plus others uh, signed to undrafted free agent contracts. Um, first Bruin off the board. It's been a long weekend, so I'm Zach Charbonnet, right? First Bruin off the board yes. goes in the second round, 52 to the Seattle Seahawks. I'll give my opinion after, but your thoughts, first of all, congrats to Zach, obviously, but your thoughts on Sharbs going to the Seahawks. So ironic, uh, Ryan, for a couple of reasons. One is for two years, the comp that I've made with Zach Charbonnet is his running style and his tenacity is like Marshawn Lynch with a young Jerome Bettis's feet. You know, that has always been the comp for me for the last two years in terms of Charbonnet style. And who does he get drafted by? Marshawn Lynch's former team, the Seattle Seahawks, because they can clearly see that run style fits so well in that Pete Carroll system. And it's also ironic that, you know, the the Trojan great uh, coach, uh, you know, sees sort of, uh, you know, the value and, and, and the treasure that is the Bruins star. So, uh, you know, sort of ironic there with, with the Crosstown rivalry. But I think this is a great spot for Charbonnet. Obviously, it sort of pains us as as Rams fans and, and as others in, in sort of the, the NFC West. But I think this is going to be a match made in heaven. Now, when you factor in Zach Charbonnet and this sort of one-two punch with Kenneth Walker third, with the way Seattle likes to run the ball, I think Charbonnet is set up for, for great success. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I I'm mixed on it. It's it's a it's a great pick for the Seahawks. I mean, they have now a loaded backfield. Um, for me, just because of how the running back position is, I really wanted him to be able to go somewhere where he could just own that running back room, be a true three down back. And considering the Seahawks just drafted Kenneth Walker last year, had a breakout rookie season 
last year. It's definitely feels like it's going to be a very split committee, which may extend Charbonnet's career. So it might be a good thing again for the Seahawks. It's fantastic. I mean, that's just such a good backfield for me personally. I just wanted Charbonnet to be able to be the guy. And now he's going to be playing second fiddle to a guy that was the guy last year and is still young and on his rookie deal just in year two. So it's a good pick. I I'm super happy for him. But yeah, I just would have liked to have seen him go elsewhere where he could have been more the dominant focal point. Ryan, I think it's a great point. And here's, here would be my counter to that in terms of what you said. Cause, cause I love what you said there. One is I think it's going to allow him to step into that main role um, without a lot of tread on his tires, especially his rookie year and maybe his second year. And the other thing is I will say by the end, by the middle of his second season, it's going to be evident that he is a better fit for that Seattle Seahawks running style than Kenneth Walker. And I think he's going to beat Walker out, and but he's going to be able to do so while starting with the split carries, which is going to give him even more of a shelf life down the line. That's how I see this playing out, and I completely agree with uh, Joaquin, where you know it's it's you know Joaquin said it uh, right before this that I could see Zach Charbonnet as a top five running back in this league. Absolutely, that's the ceiling. I think that's the projection, and that's where this is going, especially given how much Pete likes to be run first uh and you know when you look at the great seahawks teams they've always been run first i think charbonnet is going to be the centerpiece of a team that's going to be revived and be kind of a perennial playoff team for years to come yeah well we've said that all along we think he's going to be a top five back still believe that and you know at the end of the day you know it's all about competing right and and the better player will play if they if they're better and we think zach charbonnet is better absolutely um and we saw they weren't hesitant to the they drafted Rashad Penny in the first round just a few years back. They get Kenneth Walker. They move on from Rashad Penny, and now they add Zach Charbonnet. So there's no sense they wouldn't move on from from Kenneth Walker if need be. So, uh, but goes 52 overall. Uh, you know, great pick, and and we'll see how he fares there. Next Bruin to go, and I loved how high he went. A lot of people, non UCLA people, thought John Gaines would be a very late round pick, maybe even undrafted. You and I both thought, no, this is a guy that because of how smart he is, because of how versatile he is playing essentially every single spot on the offensive line during his time at UCLA, because of the leader he is, you get in a room with him for five minutes and you fall in love with the guy. And Arizona must have felt the same way because they take John Gaines in the fourth round to add to their offensive line, which is which is pretty porous. Like I would not be shocked if John Gaines is a starter as a rookie, as a fourth round selection. And uh, we'll be blocking for uh, Kyler Murray and company out there in Arizona. For sure, Ryan. I mean, everything that John Gaines has meant to UCLA uh, over the years and just, you know, his productivity, his versatility, and and more than anything else, Ryan, was his leadership in the locker room and, and being sort of a leader of his peers and, and someone that folks really respected. And when you think about the Cardinals, where are the biggest deficiencies right now in terms of you know, their ability to kind of reach their potential. It's A, it's offensive line. And I think more importantly, it's leadership in that locker room. Gaines is an absolute home run pick for them. I just hope that Gaines is in the best possible situation for himself. You know, in an ideal world, Ryan, I would have loved to have seen him go to a Baltimore or a Pittsburgh or a Philly or even the Niners, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, folks that really know how to invest in offensive line talent. So I hope that Gaines rubs off on the Cardinals in the right way. I completely agree with you. I think once you get into camp, you're going to realize this guy's going to be a starter. And I just hope that the habits that may be bad and not necessarily as professional 
um, with the Cardinals. Don't rub off on him or, or they won't rub off on him because he's such a great young man. But don't it doesn't make it detrimental for him in any way. So yeah. I love the pick in theory. And I hope in practice it translates really well. So excited for Gaines. And I think right after Charbonnet, Gaines has the ability to have the best career of anyone in this draft class from a UCLA perspective. I see him having an, you know, a, a decade-long career here in the NFL as being a staple for the Cardinals or elsewhere as really a linchpin to a great offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was very cool to see him go, um, I guess, that high compared to where others were projecting him. And we'll definitely have an opportunity to start, um, not just because the Arizona Cardinals offense line is not good, but also just because we think he's that good and is that profound of a player, if you will. So um, next, and this is a really interesting spot. I, I'm excited to hear your take on it because we haven't talked yet. Fifth round, Dorian Thompson-Robinson goes to the Browns to back up Deshaun Watson. Your thoughts on this fit or pick? Ryan, I think it's a, you know, you and I talked so much about DTR and, you know, probably one of, if not the most polarizing players in this year's draft, one of the most polarizing players in the history of UCLA football, the Russell Westbrook of college football for UCLA in so many ways. To me, you know, we've, we've talked about kind of the similarities with Jalen Hurts. We've talked about the similarities with, you know, Tyler Huntley in Baltimore. We've talked about it's got to be the right situation. I think if you take Philly and Baltimore off the board and you say, what's well, probably the third best spot for him, it's probably Cleveland. I mean, in terms of how they run their offense and when you look at just kind of the overall skill set and what they want to do with Deshaun Watson – Dorian Thompson Robinson can do all of those things from a physical perspective. And now when you factor in what's the uncertainty going to be like with Deshaun Watson, given everything he's been through the last few years, what is his level of commitment going to be to the game? What is his level of rust? How much of true NFL shape is he in given not having played very much over the last couple of years? And the NFL is just such an unforgiving sport where the moment you get out, you know, you, you can't come back in. We've seen that with, you know, Trojan greats like Mike Williams. We've seen that with Maurice Claret. We've seen that with other guys. They're never quite the same when there's any sort of a gap period. So not only do I think DTR has, is, has got kind of the inside track to be QB2 and really be in a situation where he's got a front row seat in terms of learning and observation, but there's a better than not likelihood that DTR is going to at least start one game for the Browns this year in the NFL. I think that's a great bet um, that, that he would be able to do so. And I think he's going to get an opportunity to really show what he's capable of. And so when you look at kind of that history of the Cleveland Browns, whether it was Baker and now Deshaun, it's always kind of been that dynamic athlete, a bit of a gunslinger. Um, but now I think given who they have around them and what the system they want to run, I think this is a great spot for DTR. Yeah, there's, there's three reasons why I actually like it, and I agree with you. Um, at first, I didn't because I was like, oh, God, now i got to go sit behind Deshaun Watson. Like, what a bummer. Um, but everything you said about the fit, I'll just leave it at that. I think it's a good fit. When you look at Kevin Stefanski and that offense and what they want to do with Deshaun, I agree. DTR can do all those things. Um, for two, he reunites with our guy, Demetric Felton, you know, former teammate at UCLA for, for a couple years, and they did great things together, and you kind of get that – that brotherhood back and, and someone that you know in the building as you make that leap from college quarterback to pro quarterback. And then the third reason why I really like it is 
one would think off the bat, okay, well, Deshaun's got four years left on his fully guaranteed contract, so DTR will never see the field. He'll be lucky to be the backup. He'll be fighting for that backup job, and that's it, which is still great. Good for him. He's a fifth-round pick. Backup is kind of like what most people would put the ceiling at. But I would take it a step further because I would say, okay, Deshaun Watson is now, I would even say arguably, probably the most hated player in the NFL based on all the off-the-field stuff, the accusations and the convictions and all that stuff. So DTR will be arguably one of the favorite players to supplant Deshaun Watson. So you will have a unified support of fans, not just in Cleveland, well, maybe not Cleveland, because obviously they they are probably fans of Deshaun Watson, but outside of Cleveland, everyone will be wanting to see someone take the reins from Deshaun Watson and make the Browns look foolish for paying him fully guaranteed money to a guy that hadn't played in a year, was suspended half the year for all the stuff. And now DTR can come in, be almost rooted for by the public and potentially take over. And who knows? I'm not saying he will or can, but it'll be a fun rooting interest for the rest of the league, not just Bruins fans to see if the DTR can be the guy that, that pushes Deshaun out of the NFL, if you will. So, well, Ryan, I mean, it's such a, it's such an interesting point and such a brilliant one actually, uh, because a DTR sort of salivates in those roles where, you know, there's juice behind something and, you know, he gets to be sort of emotional and, and competitive and really sort of get, you know, kind of reach his potential and, and doubt, you know, sort of silence the doubters. But I think it's also sort of interesting how life works and how karmic this is, because l- let me be very clear here. You know, DTR is an exceptional young man who did amazing things for UCLA, an embodiment, a symbol for UCLA in terms of just a great student athlete. And so, you know, very, very different situations. But DTR was kind of in that Deshaun Watson role with UCLA a little bit in the sense that there was a a, a contingent of UCLA faithful that kind of wanted to see what would life be like after DTR with, with Ethan Garbers, with other quarterbacks? And there was a contingent that was sort of maybe ready to move on from DTR, even as early as last season. And so the fact that he kind of knows what that feels like of being the incumbent, but maybe not everyone, whether it's the organization, whether it's the fans, whether it's just sort of the overall city is necessarily completely behind you. And so I think he could actually use that UCLA experience of how he was able to sort of fight that off and have a great final season at UCLA to his advantage to try and usurp Deshaun Watson in Cleveland because now he gets sort of this this opposite perspective. It's like that movie, that old movie Vantage Point, Ryan. Remember when they played like the same scene from everyone's vantage point? Now Deshaun, you know, DTR gets to kind of see a different vantage point of this situation and, and, you know, given his skill set, he's going to have a real opportunity to make some noise. I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah, it'll be really interesting. And that's a great point as well. And, yeah, I mean, last thing on that, there were there were many people when he decided to come back for his fifth year that were not super pumped on yeah. him. A lot of people wanted to see when D- Dylan Gabriel had originally transferred here, everyone was ready for the Dylan Gabriel chapter. And then DTR comes back. Obviously, Gabriel transfers out. People still kind of wanted Garbers. So, yeah, I mean, you, you make a good point there of, of what – he had to go through and now what situation he is in. So um, final Bruin player drafted Antonio Maffi goes to the Patriots in round five, which I think this is another great fit for him. They're obviously a team that has done a really good job, has one of the best uh, offensive line coaches in the game. And Maffi, another player that highly underrated, I think, in this draft process, but just a 
bruising mauler of a man and, and is going to do big things there at, at New England. So your thoughts on the fit there with the Pates. Yeah, Patriots. no, Ryan, absolutely. This is this is just such a phenomenal pick. And I got to give a shout out to my guy, Will Decker, you know, co-host of the Bruin Bible. He and I were at practice on Saturday together. And as we were sort of assessing the players on the field, talking a little bit about the draft and where we were anticipating the Bruins to go. And he said, you know, the perfect scenario here, I just have a feeling Moffey's going to go to the Patriots. Because it, it and and lo and behold, it happened. This is such a match made in heaven. This is the prototypical Bill Belichick offensive lineman, a guy that doesn't jump off the page from a measurable standpoint, but just has a deep understanding of the game. And when you look at Mafi, when you look at him as a tactician, as a technician, how he's able to always be upright, really be balanced, using his hands, always sort of pushing up in terms of you know coverage. Um, and, and being able to so, sort of be so great with his technique, with his upper body. His feet are always square. He's always sort of center of gravity. He just understands the game so well. He's mm-hmm. always on the field making the right plays. He's versatile. He's just the prototypical Patriots player. You can plug him in anywhere. He's intelligent. He's a leader. He's just going to be such value add, and he's going to fly under the radar because he didn't jump off the page from a measurable standpoint. Again, I think Mafi to the Patriots, match made in heaven here. It's sort of everything that the gains to the Cardinals pick was in terms of fit, but with a more stable organization. And so in many ways, Mafi, you know, we could argue, is Charbonnet going to get all of the carries in his first year? You know, is DTR going to, you know, see the field because you've given so much money, guaranteed money to the guy in front of him? Is Gaines going to really be able to reach his potential given the challenges culturally uh, with the Cardinals organization, but Mafi, in terms of destination, probably got the best deal out of the four Bruins that were drafted. And I'm so thrilled to death for him, uh, you know, exchange messages with his dad on Facebook from time to time. I know what a proud mm-hmm. Papa he is. And I'm just really excited for, for Mafi and the Mafi family. He's set up for a great career in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Mafia was on our, our Bruin Bible podcast with Will Decker during Super Bowl week, actually, or right after the Super Bowl. No, right before the Super Bowl. Um, so if you want to check out that interview, you can find that at LAFBnetwork.com. So great fit. That was the four Bruins drafted, but then you had obviously some undrafted free agents all rip through these, Jamal, and you can just comment on whatever ones you want. Um, Jake Bobo which I was honestly shocked he did not get drafted. I really thought yeah. he would get snatched up at in some sixth or seventh round. Just the the PFF grade, the the size, some of the intangibles, the big, not only big catch radius, but big time catch, like just catches he made, third and fourth down situations. He was the guy that would get the ball in his hands. So I was shocked that he did not get drafted. But he and his teammate Mo Osling get signed by the Seattle Seahawks. Michael Azike stays right here in L.A., joining the Chargers, which I think is a great fit. And then wide receiver Kaz Allen heads to the Commanders, and cornerback Azizi Hearn goes to the Raiders. So your any thoughts at all on any of those undrafted signings? Right. I mean, you know, I think the two that really jump out in terms of having an opportunity to make a big impact as rookies not only make the team but have an impact are Bobo and Azike. I mean, yeah. Bobo to the Seahawks. I mean – did anyone have a better draft than the Seattle Seahawks? Seahawks I mean, it was just draft. unreal. I mean, now now when you look at that sort of trio, Jackson Smith and the Jigba, DK Metcalf, and then, you know, you got Bobo sort of fighting for wide receiver, 
you know, three, four, five, trying to make that rotation. But just in terms of his size, you mentioned the catch radius, that frame of just having a DK Metcalf and a Jake Bobo on the field together. I mean, just two such big bodied skilled players. I think the Seahawks kind of were salivating at that potential matchup. Bobo not getting drafted, I think, was an absolute steal. We mentioned it earlier. Highest rated Pac-12 receiver by PFF. Obviously, some of those scores are flawed. But when you got a guy who is the highest scored at his position in his collegiate conference and he doesn't get drafted, you know there's a steal there. And I think that Bobo is going to make the Seahawks very happy moving forward. And then I love the Ezekiel to the Chargers. I think that yeah. I think the Chargers missed uh, a little bit on an opportunity to have a great tight end. They got the guy. Obviously, we, you and I talked about extensively Allen from Clemson. But I think Ezekiel gets an opportunity to bring some depth there. Ezekiel brings an athleticism to the tight end position that few have. And, and that athleticism started revealing itself later in the season, particularly in that SC game where he was just a nightmare to guard in, in short yardage red zone situations. He's a great athlete, and I think coming in there, you know, trying to see where he can fit in and find a roster spot behind Gerald Everett, behind Allen and some others, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people in camp. So Azike and Bobo, to me, I think are going to really raise some eyebrows as undrafted free agents. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and not to try to correct you, but these two hours, everything blends together. Allen went to the Rams, so the Chargers is even a better opportunity, which I know you know. And so literally you have... I mean, yeah, uh, Allen went to the Rams. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, no, all, it's all blurring. My apologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Four, four teams in two hours, it all feels the same. No, no, so. no. Yeah, I apologize for that. No, I mean, the Chargers really, it was glaring. I mean, the yeah. tight end, you know, sort of solidifying that. So behind Gerald Everett. And if you look at Ezekiel Ryan... Like, there's a lot of Gerald Everett to him also, you know? I mean, he's a bigger guy than Everett. But in terms of that athleticism, there's a lot of similarity there. And so I think Ezekiel's got a chance to really make a big impact. And I think Herbert's going to realize quickly, hey, this is a guy I can throw the ball to, um, you know, in some spot situations. Yeah, because you got you got Gerald Everett, then you got Donald Parham and and Trey McKitty are your tight ends above you in, in Michael Ezekiel, and you know three touchdowns against SC. Um, the dude can can obviously you know put put the ball in the end zone when needed. So I think Ezekiel has a real good shot, not just to make the team, but yeah. to be an actual vital spot in Kellen no Moore's doubt. offense with the Chargers because we've seen what Kellen Moore has done with other tight ends and the fact the Chargers didn't go tight end in their seven draft picks and then added Ezekiel, who I believe is the only tight end they added off double check in their undrafted list. Um, he'll have a so. real good shot. So, um, For sure. I but love yeah. Dallas's call there of, of Bobo kind of becoming the modern day Steve Largent for the Seahawks. I love that. You know, Bobo's an even bigger kid than than Largent. And and I just I just love the the idea of having Metcalf and Bobo on the field together. I mean, you know, it's just so rare when you have such big guys have such skill. And when mm-hmm. you put both of those together, I mean, what? You know, nickel package Ryan is gonna be able to handle those two guys, especially when you're sort of pounding the rock with Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker, and then you go and play action. Geno Smith, man. I mean, you want to talk about biggest winner in the draft. It's probably Geno Smith in terms of just the toys now that he has to play with moving forward. As long as he's just a serviceable game manager, you know, obviously he's got to deal with Stafford here in LA, but there's some injury concerns. The Cardinals quarterback situation is a mess. The Niners quarterback situation is a mess. Geno Smith probably sitting there and saying, as long as I can just be game manager the way I was last year, look at all the pieces I have at my disposal uh, to really make a run. Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
just to throw shade at the Niners, we forgot to mention it on our Rams show, but taking a kicker with your first pick. <laughs> that Good third on. round pick with Moody, that was something. And you and I had talked a lot about Moody, right, yeah. in, in the last previous week, you know, and, and just – you know, he's not even that good a kicker, to be honest. Yeah. It wasn't like one of those years where it was like Grammatica. I remember yeah. Grammatica out of K-State, you know, in, in 98. I mean, yeah. Kansas State was attempting 70-yard field goals with him, you know? I mean, so it's like, okay, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, or 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 Seabass with uh, Sebastian Janikowski and, yeah. you know, how great he was at Florida State. Moody is not that level of kicker. So, I mean, to sort of go third round with Moody, I mean, wow. Yeah. So I had to throw that. I wish I, wish I remembered during the Rams show. But anyway, we'll get it in here. So, all right, we're, we're already getting up against the clock. But we got to transition to this big time breaking news in the transfer portal that just literally just happened not too long ago. So I'll let you break it. But some good and needed news for our Bruins, Bruin fans. So go ahead. Yeah, Ryan, I mean, just so excited that uh, the Bruins were able to get Jack Wiley from Colorado, the tackle, uh, and, you know, he's committed to UCLA. So exciting, such big news here, very vital. And, you know, Ryan, we were talking about, you know, on on the SC episode, you know, just uh, half an hour before about how desperate UCLA has been to get some some guys uh, from the transfer portal at the offensive line situation. And having been at practice the last couple of weeks, what I can unequivocally say is this UCLA team is sort of loaded at all positions, defensively, front seven, secondary, running back, receiver. The quarterback battle is very compelling. The one glaring deficiency right now is offensive line. And because uh, DiGiorgio and Holstige have not played spring ball, that has been exacerbated even more. But the last couple of weeks, Ryan, it's even gotten to the point where it's hard to evaluate the quarterbacks given how poorly the offensive line has sort of held up compared to that UCLA front seven, even in practice. So there was a glaring need to get at least one to two offensive linemen to sort of fortify that depth and to be able to go get Wiley, who was a very, you know, serviceable um, and, and beyond, you know, at the high school level. And he's sort of been part of this coach prime exodus. You know, he's a guy that culturally fits so well with UCLA um, in terms of kind of chips, books, and ball uh, pedigree there. And just, I think he's going to find the field very, very quickly. And now with a Wiley, with Holstege, with DiGiorgio, and some of these young guys, you're starting to fortify this line. I think UCLA still needs at least one more lineman in the portal, but great to see Chip and company really hit that need uh, because they're one more lineman, a really good lineman away, Ryan, for competing for a Pac-12 championship right there with SC and Washington and Oregon and Oregon State. And um, great to see UCLA address this need right away because it's something that we saw obviously on Saturday. It was a glaring need, and the fact that they were able to address it uh, within 48 hours is really exciting. Yeah, big time. And we've we've talked – extensively that they needed to add as you mentioned you know one to two to maybe even three guys in this if they didn't it wasn't into the world but it would have been tough especially if Dante Moore is your starter as a true freshman you want to have a fortified offensive line so this just aids in that preparation of getting him behind center and and now you add a, an offensive lineman that has some pedigree has some playing time and then obviously we know how good the offensive line coach is at UCLA to kind of nurture these guys and get them into MB, you know, absolutely yeah, so uh, great news there and and great addition to this Bruins team. So, But you mentioned it. We'll, right, we'll end with this. You were at Saturday spring practice, you and our guy Will Decker. 
uh, last Saturday spring practice. Just your your news and notes from the day to wrap up the show. Yeah, Ryan. I mean, a, you know, really compelling day of practice. I thought this was kind of a, a, a week where the defense was able to really step up. Um, saw a lot of great play out of Moasau, Oladijo. I mean, those guys are so excited to hit people. It's sort of ridiculous. They're sort of hitting people and chips yelling at them in practice where it's like, no, you can't do that um, (laughs) because they're just so excited to be out there. I think the secondary made a really big jump, um, you know, over the course of this week. A lot of depth there. The the kid Humphreys is just very, very talented. Obviously, you got Kirkwood. You've got Davies. A lot of guys that are making a lot of noise right now in the secondary and really competing. I think overall – Offensively, there's a clear pecking order in terms of the receiver room. Sturdivant just continues to just, you know, solidify himself as wide receiver number one. Kyle Ford, I think, is firmly wide receiver number two. And then I think there's a big gap between two and three. And I think there's a lot of folks that are sort of in the running here. TMA, Cam Brown, Loya, Hagan. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are sort of vying for wide receiver three, four, and onwards. But I think Sturdivant Ford is a clear pecking order. And then I think at the running back slot, again, very clear pecking order here. TJ Harden, one. Carson Steele, number two. Colson Yankoff, number three. Keegan Jones continues to only be used in the slot, Ryan. So that's something to sort of watch out for. Much in the way Relique Brown is being used mm-hmm. at USC exclusively in the slot. Keegan Jones is kind of being exclusively used in the slot here at UCLA. Mm. So what that means for Keegan Jones's future whether he's enjoying being kind of that gadget player out of the slot, or does he maybe want to transfer and get another crack at being a true back, you know, sort of remains to be seen, but that's sort of a watch item. And then obviously the battle everybody's waiting for at, at the QB spot, you know, the, the, the practice session in the spring, Ryan really started with all four quarterbacks. And then you had kind of Chase Griffin at number five, but all four quarterbacks rotating with the ones and the twos. That has now solidified where it's very clearly Dante Moore and Ethan Garber is getting a vast majority of the snaps uh, with the ones and twos. And Schley, I think, has sort of settled in a little bit as kind of being that number three quarterback. And Martin, on any one possession, Justin Martin, he looks like QB1 sometimes. He looks as, like QB4 sometimes and just in terms of consistency. But I think moving forward, we are headed very clearly to a Dante Moore-Ethan Garber's QB battle here going into the summer and, and, and into sort of early fall. And I'm really happy to see the offensive line getting fortified, Ryan, because over the last week to 10 days, it was really hard to evaluate these guys, truthfully, Garbers versus Moore, given some of the deficiencies on the offensive line. So I think I'm excited to, to be there again on Friday. That'll be the last practice of this spring session and see that battle play out. And Ryan, if I had my money on it, it I hate to say it, but the one odd man out here might be Justin Martin. You know, mm-hmm. Schley's a guy who's, I think, he's he's pretty content being QB3. And I think, you know, he's getting his law degree at UCLA. Moore and Garbers are battling it out. I wonder what Justin Martin's head is at right now where, hey, you know, do I stick it out? You know, obviously Garbers will graduate. Schley will graduate. And then it'll be a battle with Dante Moore. Or do I take my shot at a, at a transfer portal situation and go to maybe a Cal or a Stanford? go to maybe a big 12 school, go to maybe, um, you know, kind of a second tier SEC school like a Mississippi, Mississippi State and have an opportunity mm-hmm. to start right away. So that's a watch item there is, is what Justin Martin will do, I think, in the days and the weeks to come. 
Yeah, I mean, he'll have to make a decision for this year fairly quickly. Quickly, um, exactly. With the, with the portal closing here soon, and then obviously we'll see if he, you know, he'll have that opportunity again next year and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, fascinating stuff. I think it's it's really exciting where this team's at. We can end with this um, question here from Bart. No one is talking about UCLA in the Pac-12. Where should they finish? And uh, we're talking about them, that's for sure, in the Pac-12 because it's shocking how nationally, yeah, they're not really getting, or even not even nationally, but even just in the Pac-12 conversations, you know, it's all obviously SC is the dominant focal point, as they should be. They have the Raising Heisman Trophy winner and Lincoln Riley, but then you still have Utah, who, again, get it because they're the Pac-12 champs back-to-back years. But then after that, it's all it's been Oregon and, and their return. It's been Washington with uh, Penix Jr. It's been now some Oregon State with how their defense and, and adding uh, DJ up there at quarterback and and even some of these other Southern schools like Arizona and Arizona State and how they progress. Not really Arizona State, but Arizona, yes. And so it is very true that UCLA is kind of getting – brushed to the wayside a little bit, which obviously we don't believe. Uh, and this will, we'll get way more into this over the next two, three months. But I, just to answer Bart's question, kind of where do you see them finishing the Pac-12? Based Ryan, on what you see in spring. Absolutely, Bart. It, it's a great question. When you look at the talent on this team, top to bottom, like I mentioned, I think it's it's contingent on two things. I think they need one or two more offensive linemen to sort of shore up that depth. And they're sort of already on the road here with with getting Wiley and they need one more guy. And then who ends up winning the quarterback job, whether it's Moore and Garbers, and just how solid they are going to be. And if we just assume that it's going to be sort of a, an above-average quarterback play, not necessarily spectacular, but just above average, and assuming they get one more offensive lineman, when you look at receiver, when you look at running back, when you look at front seven, when you look at secondary, this team is as talented as any other team in the Pac-12. SC has insane depth offensively. But SC's almost too loaded offensively. Like they've got eight, they're eight deep at every position. There's only one ball, you know? Yeah. So when you sort of look at just who you're going to put on the field in terms of talent, UCLA's as talented as anybody in the Pac-12. And I think that the, the going into this season, I think you've got SC as the favorite. And then I think you've got Washington, the two Oregon schools, and UCLA as the other four teams that can legitimately win this conference. I think this is the year Utah takes a big step back. I think having lost Keithy, having lost Kincaid, having lost Clark Phillips, they've just lost too many of their star guys. And Utah's not built to be this every year reload kind of team. They need to kind of take some projects. They need to take raw guys and then build them up over two years. So I see Utah slipping this year after an incredible run. But I think it's sort of SC is the going in favorite. And I think there's a group of four that's going to challenge for a berth in the Pac-12 championship. And UCLA is one of those four teams. And I think the fact that no one's talking about them is exactly what Chip wants and exactly the way he wants to sort of play it, given his personality. Yeah, that's why they only let three media members on on any given day. Just, they don't want anyone <laughs> talking about them. They don't want anyone to know. Um, but no, totally agree. And and Dallas, this is what we wanted last year and just came up short. But I could see that again this year where the crosstown rivalry game, which will be at the college this year, decides either who is in the Pac-12 title or who will be playing uh, one of the Oregon For schools sure. In, or Washington. In I, that's what I believe wholeheartedly. Yep. I think I think Oregon State is a team that is just going to be so physical. And with uh, Uli Angelale there, a quarterback, that's kind of the missing piece. I think Washington with Penix Jr. is great, but sometimes defensively there's some deficiencies there. And then Oregon with Bo Nix, I still don't always trust him in key passing situations. I just love overall Oregon State. I think they're going to be there in the end. 
mm-hmm. the Pac-12 title game. And I think we're, we're probably going to have another crosstown rivalry that decides that berth yet again. We had it last year. We're, we're probably going to have it again this year. And let's have this be the tradition going into the Big Ten. It's going to be very, very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's going to be a great year for UCLA. I'm, I'm shocked they're not getting as much respect, but uh, as you said, that's exactly how they want it, and they'll prove it on the field because they got talent everywhere. The defense literally is as good a defense as they're in the Pac-12 on paper. Now we'll see what the new, you know, DeAnton Lynn is the new DC, how it translates as we think it will be much better than what it's been in years past. Um, but when you have all the returning stars that they had, plus the additions that they added in the transfer portal, I think you're looking at a, a big upside on defense. And in the the offense as you said it's just going to come down to how good the quarterback play is which is not going to be bad because Dante Moore is a generational talent and even if he doesn't win the starting job Garbers has been there long enough and has looked yep. talented enough to carry the torch but will it be on the level of what DTR has been doing will it be a little worse will it be a little better that's kind of what we just don't know yet until we see more practices and yeah and I think Ryan the last point I'll make here two things one is you can very clearly see a new energy to this team in terms of how they practice and how they approach things with DeAnton Lynn, but also DeAnton Lynn now ingratiated into this coaching staff that is very youthful and very passionate. Now, when you look at this coaching staff overall, obviously you've got cerebral chip, but outside of that, when you look at Dravino, when you look at Jerry Neuheisel, Deshaun Foster, DeAnton Lynn, Ken Norton Jr., these are young, hungry, charismatic coaches that are very relatable to the modern player. And that is now starting to be reflected in these practices. You're starting to see how these guys are sort of approaching their craft, how the collaboration is taking place in practice, how well it's just being run like a well-oiled machine. And that's all a testament to Chip. But there's a different vibe and energy with this team just from a practice standpoint. And number two, I think with a guy like a Garbers, you know, for instance, you're not necessarily going to get the peaks that you got in terms of athleticism and jaw-dropping plays that you got with DTR, but I also don't think you're going to get the valleys that you got with DTR. I think it's just going to be a much more stable approach to the quarterback position, both whether it's Garbers or whether it's Dante Moore, because I think Dante, as a true freshman, is going to be a little bit more conservative and cerebral. He'll take his shots, So I think as long as UCLA can have sort of stable quarterback play and they know what they're getting week over week, the fact that they have the Hardens and the Steels and the Yankoffs in the backfield with Anthony Atkins, the guy from Army who just looks like a beast in short yardage situations, I think they're going to be in a really good spot. So Chip is really excited, I think. You know, his his chest is puffing out a little bit. You know, I even saw him at that QB club event. Two weeks ago, Ryan, my dad walked away. He's like, man, Chip really looks confident. You know, it, it, it's it's a different vibe. He's, he's confident with his group. Uh, he just likes to play it really close to the vest, which is which for Bruin fans should be very, very excited about. Yeah, well, confident he should be because it's a great roster. So uh, we are excited. Plenty more Bruins coverage on LAFBnetwork.com. We got our show. You got the Bruin Bible plus all of our writing. So make sure to check that out. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us here on Monday Night Live. We'll be back later in the week for a regular the pre-recorded show which also airs on espn radio 1090 you can get that anywhere on the socal coastline and then also we'll be back next monday same time 7 30 monday night live thank you all we appreciate it for jamal madney i'm ryan dyer to have a blessed monday a great week we'll talk to you all here in just a couple days
You're listening to the LA Football Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.